In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Good morning. Beautiful to see you all here. So here we are, the third Sunday in Eastertide, the third Sunday in which we begin our services with that breathless proclamation, He is risen! Doubting Thomas has lost his doubts. And the risen Jesus is eating broiled fish right in front of us. And yet, I'm almost ashamed to have to confess this, but do you ever find yourselves wondering, yeah, great, Jesus is risen, but what about me? <laughs> it sounds really selfish. I'm probably a jerk just to be asking the question, but and, and I know I should really just be happy that Jesus is risen. And I am. I'm very happy for Jesus. Yay! You know? But, I mean, I don't want to complain, but remind me, what's the point of these resurrection stories again? What did his resurrection actually change? He's risen and still... Cops are killing black kids in alleyways in Chicago. He's risen and still there's another mass shooting. He's risen and still the climate keeps on warming. And still, I'm getting older. You know, I mean, I know it's not about me. It's infinitely bigger than me. But someday, in the not too distant future, I'm going to get cancer or I'm gonna get hit by a car, or I'm gonna develop Alzheimer's disease, and it's just gonna be downhill from there on out. And none of these stories about Jesus' resurrection are gonna change any of that, right? So what's the point again? So I made this complaint just last Tuesday to a friend of mine after I'd spent the better part of the day thinking about this story from Luke's Gospel, the story in which Jesus shows up in his resurrected body and says, hey, you got anything to eat? Luke goes out of his way to tell us that Jesus showed up in his body. He was not a ghost. He was flesh and blood. In fact, he was hungry. The idea being that whatever this resurrection was, it was... It was happening on a physical level. Luke and all the other Gospels, they keep insisting on this point. God brings new life to our flesh, to these actual bodies of ours. And I'm like, okay, cool. What about my body? Not to mention, what about George Floyd's body? What about Adam Toledo's body? And then, blessedly, night came, and I went to bed, and was still kind of grumbling about all this. And that night, I had a dream. Don't worry, it's a short dream. <laughs> this won't take long. But I, I dreamed that I was a symphony conductor, and I was at this podium conducting this symphony, uh, something from Dvorak, I think. It was cellos and oboes and violins and French horns. The symphony was performing outdoors in front of this open field. And there, wasn't, there weren't any people in the field. There was just 
this old broken down car in desperate need of repair. Its whole engine need to, needed to get rebuilt. This car was sitting in this field listening to this music of the symphony that I was conducting, and then the car's engine started repairing itself. Broken parts started flying out, and new parts started flying into the engine, and by the end of the symphony, my car's engine was good as new and running like a Swiss watch. And then I woke up and I thought, well, that's, that's it. That's what I'm talking about. In my religious imagination, you know, I'm looking for the music, if you will, that will repair this old broken down engine of mine. Because on the one hand, you got this symphony, you know, you got all these stories and songs and words about Jesus being resurrected. And on the other hand, you know, he's just got this old body, this machine, sitting in a field, getting rusty, breaking down. And in my dream, there was finally, there was this connection was finally getting made. The sounds of the gospel were finally making a real difference in my body. My old rusty engine being restored to life. So that was on Wednesday morning. I wrote down that dream, and all that day I was thinking, yeah, that's nice, but it's just a dream. It doesn't really happen like that. And then that evening, I was teaching a class for our catechesis group about one of my favorite topics, which is the Eucharist. And it wasn't just a mood elevation experience that I had. As the class was moving along, I started feeling this physical joy, more and more joy that was like kind of like a light in my chest, kind of like an extra bit of oxygen in my bloodstream, like gravity was weighing me down less. I felt 10 years younger. And I realized, you know, this is the resurrection of the body, this joy. This is the symphony, if you will, that's repairing my engine. There are certain things that I do on a regular basis, teaching, writing, exercise, eating well, meditating, reading, spending time with my beloved, with good friends. These activities actually have a physical effect. It's not just that my mood is elevated, no, there's a, that's a dualistic way of thinking about it. These states of happiness, happiness, when they come, are physically changing my body. It turns out, of course, there's a ton of research about this being done by some very good scientists. For example, studies have found that playing music actually enhances our immune systems on a cellular level. They've actually measured lower stress-related responses coming from messenger RNA after we've engaged in what they call recreational music making. Other studies have shown how laughing lowers blood pressure, reduces stress hormones, increases muscle flexibility, and the immune response, not to mention we feel happier.
some of us might remember Norman Cousins. Remember him, that journalist back in the 1960s? He contracted this rare, crippling terminal disease, and he insisted on treating it with a constant diet of comedy. He had a film projector put in his hospital room, and he watched hours and hours of Marx Brothers and Three Stooges movies. That was almost 60 years ago. He wrote a book about it, and now laugh therapy and comedy cures are actual things. And scientists are beginning to understand the biological mechanisms of happiness and joy and laughter. So these are physical states of being that can be measured all the way down to the cell level. In their own way, I think this was this basic insight that Luke and the other gospel writers were trying to preserve when they kept insisting again and again that this resurrected Jesus was not a mere ghost or a phantasm, that he was real flesh and blood. This was supremely important to them. They fought tooth and nail against the Gnostics and the Manichaeans, early Christians influenced by Persian and Babylonian and Hellenistic cults who thought it was impossible for God to inhabit a physical body. Even as the earliest Gospels were being written, these dualistic theories about Jesus were circulating that he could not possibly have had a physical body, that he was more of a ghost or a specter, that he had, this was a real theory, that he had actually hypnotized his disciples into them believing that he was a flesh and blood person. And so Luke's Jesus rises from the tomb and he says, I am not a ghost, touch my hands and feet, and have you got anything to eat? It's like Jesus is a teenager coming home from soccer practice. I, you know, he goes right toward the fridge. I'd like to think that the apostles were so insistent on this point about Jesus being in the flesh because they had seen with their own eyes the joy he brought to others. They had experienced directly the healing that he effected. They had felt their own feet washed by him, their own bodies rejuvenated by his presence. So they could trust how God inhabits the physical world in the wine served at weddings, in the food shared among pilgrims, even in the pain of the cross, even in the pain of death as a price for love, God becomes physical. God becomes joy. God becomes love. God becomes music. I feel better already just talking about it. Voltaire once said, God is a comedian playing to an audience too afraid to laugh. Well, if that's true, it's really sad because it's in laughter that God's resurrection energy is, is communicated in part. No wonder that Jewish people are, have produced some of the best comedians of all time. They're not afraid to laugh. I imagine the disciples were the same way. By the way, if you're, if you're looking for a wonderful podcast 
in which mostly Jewish comedians are making hilarious riffs on God. I highly recommend the podcast called Godcast. Godcast. Uh, it's a podcast hosted by God, the Almighty. Um, their Seder Spectacular episode is one of the funniest things I've heard in a very long time. And it did me much good to listen to it. So all of which is to say, sure, I get it. The world can be a grim place. There's trouble all around. The newspapers will always be filled with bad news. The Jews, more than most people, knew this all too well. But still, you know what? You gotta laugh. Or sing, or conduct, an ins uh, conduct a symphony. You gotta eat a picnic on a beach. Whatever it is that brings you joy, get out there and do more of it. It's not self-indulgent. It's what God would do if God had a body. In fact, it's what God did do when he had a body, tucking into that delicious broiled fish in the presence of his slack-jawed best friends. In her wonderful poem, The Earth, Anne Sexton wrote, God loafs around heaven without a shape, but he would like to smoke his cigar or bite his fingernails and so forth. God owns heaven, but he craves the earth. Most of all, he envies the bodies, he who has no body. He does not envy the soul so much, he is all soul, but he would like to house it in a body and come down and give it a bath now and then. The good news is that God did house his body in a soul. I mean, I'm sorry, the good news is God did house his soul in a body, <laughs> in your body. So as your priest, as your doctor of the soul, if you will, this is my prescription for you. Take some time out every day to practice your own little resurrection. Soak in a hot aromatic bubble bath, if that works for you. Listen to your favorite lineup of stand-up comedians if they make you laugh. Get your best friends to take a bike ride around the, around the river. Whatever works, get out of your head and get into your body because that's where the miracles of new life are taking place every minute of every day. Amen.